Welcome back on the bench. I've got with me Brendan Sinone and Chris Nee. You guys know I'm Josh Newberg. We're of the Knowles 24-7 website. Um, let's just get right into it. Florida State came back to beat Louisville on Saturday night, 35-24, to earning their first ACC conference win of the season. Give it up for the Knowles. Thank you, thank you. The game looked like it was going to be a blowout. Once again, uh, we, we started feeling good about ourselves early on, 21-0, but the Cardinals came roaring back, even gaining the, late, the lead late in the fourth quarter. Um, FSU, they didn't lay down, though. They kept fighting, got to give it up for the defense especially, and um, in the, at the end of the day, they came away with an important win. Uh, we got a lot to talk about, a lot to cover on this pod, but first I want to look back at our predictions from the last show. Um, the score was 35-24. to 24. Brendan nearly nailed it. He had 35-32. I was rooting for Louisville to score on the last play, a meaningless touchdown, and then a two-point conversion, so I could tell everyone to suck it, but it didn't happen. So Chris had FSU squeezing one out 31-30, and it, it certainly felt that way at times, that, that it was just a one-point win. But I had I, – on the podcast, I said FSU is going to win by 12, and I was very confident in that. But by the next day when we went to do our predictions, I, I reined it in a little bit, and I had 37-31. Um, so we were, all, we were all pretty close. Both uh, of you backed was, off what you said on the podcast. You both kind of changed your tune. You flipped well, like, I went from like four points, I think, a point. So, yeah. I, I, some of that is I thought Juwan Pass would play. He didn't. And just in general, I didn't have a ton of confidence just because FSU's not really instilled confidence. But anyways. Yeah, well, they came away with the win, um, 35-24. And after the game, the buzz on Twitter, on our message boards, everywhere else was the play of Alex Hornibrook, the Wisconsin grad transfer. Um, seeing him in, seeing him coming to play, seeing him come into the game to play should have been no surprise to Knowles 24-7 fans because Brendan reported on Thursday with a story titled, FSU QB Alex Hornibrook expected to play a series versus Louisville. Well, guess what? On the third series, Hornibrook came in to play a series exactly how it was reported. Um, Blackman would go down later on in the game in the third quarter. But first, let's let's dissect um, kind of what happened. Um, this was expected, Brendan, uh, as you reported. Did you feel that at the time Hornibrook was kind of being forced in there? Because at the time, Blackman was kind of rolling. Uh, the the word that I got, and I'm just happy that FSU was able to win despite not winning the time of possession. I think that's the real takeaway for this game that we all need to to really grasp and, and understand is how rare that is and just remarkable. Good God, snark on <laughs> And also, I'm really happy that that reporting that Alex Hornibrook was was going to play early in the game, the 34th series didn't derail Louisville's amazing game plan for him as he threw a touchdown on his very first passing attempt. Um, so it was pre-planned, uh, you know, as the game was happening, I kind of, I was kind of wondering, you know, whether it made sense to, to put in Alex as they had kind of game planned it, which was the third series because James was doing well and the offense had, was moving a little bit. Uh, and that was my concern is like, you start you know messing up with momentum or a rhythm and it's such a rhythm based offense, but you know, it worked out fine uh, because because Alex goes and you know runs the RPO concept and, and hits a well, it's a 44-yard touchdown to Keyshawn Helton and and makes a quick read and all the good things that we've heard about Alex Hornibrook since he's arrived at Florida State, although he's really flawed in 
or at least very limited. I shouldn't say flawed. He has his flaws, but he's very limited, I think, in, in some of what he can do physically with arm strength and athleticism. But he makes quick decisions. He gets rid of the ball quickly, accurately. Uh, it yeah. actually moves around well, along the pocket. He, so he, he showed you all of that in that first drive, right? And and so I guess it was forced, quote unquote, to a little bit. But but I don't have a problem with them trying to look at, you know, try, trying to look at what they have. Uh, I do wonder what now. And I guess we'll get into this with the you know James Blackman's injury. Do you have a quarterback controversy on your hands? Did you maybe overcomplicate things a little bit? I, I don't. I'm, I'm kind of we'll interested. Get I guess to see how it plays yeah, out. Okay, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Um, I want to talk to chris um hi josh hi chris hornybrook comes in he hands the ball off on his on his first uh first snap under center for florida state and then like something scripted out of movie i don't you know you couldn't be more happy for the kid he throws a touchdown on his second pass from scrimmage um well, first pass first for, pass sorry, from scrimmage first second play from scrimmage what is hornybrook bring to the offense that's different from from James Blackman I think experience um I would also go with BPM beats per minute I think Mm -hmm. that Alex is a very cool calm influence James is a bit more of an emotional being um some of that is James has a lot of reps in this offense which equals a lot of frustration with some of the bad that this offense has done Alex hasn't had that he walks in with a clean slate He's a one-year rental. He's trying to do the best he can, compete at the highest level. So he kind of has a clean slate. But I think he's very calm, dude. A very beats per minute. That heart doesn't get going fast. Whether it's good or bad, it just doesn't go fast. He kind of stays cool as a uh, cucumber. And I think that showed. I think that, you know, he – What? Cool as a cucumber. Sorry, go on. Hey, Mr. Snark, shut up over there, Okay. <laughs> Just go find something else to be snarky about. Yeah, we're enjoying um, this Hornybrook performance over here. Yeah. Come on. But but he uh you know, he came in early. He was comfortable with the role he was supposed to play in that game, which was a little bit of an awkward, unusual thing of a two quarterback system. Just not something FSC's done a whole lot in their history and you know, Willie hasn't done in his time here at all. And then obviously he's called upon when James gets hurt late and he plays very well, especially down the stretch when they had to have the points because they had to come back from being down a little bit. So I think he was cool, calm, and collected. He performed better than I expected. Um, I don't expect him to grade out elite every time going forward, but he was very, very good on Saturday. And he certainly, presuming both quarterbacks were fully healthy exiting that game, he would certainly deserve another opportunity next week against NC State. Now, whether that meant starting or a two-quarterback role, I don't know. That's for a coach to decide. But he certainly earned the right to be back out there. He's got yeah. that competed. He and Brendan will probably talk about this too. He competed really well in the preseason. I think he surprised us with the fact that he was able to come in in May and make a true run at it in August. I mean, that's a short window to learn a lot in a complicated system. It's not super complicated, but it asks you to do a lot. And he he did a really good job of that. And he had a five month you know catch up period compared to the competitors he was working against. But he did a good job. He set himself up, and I think he's done an excellent job of kind of being willing to wait for the opportunity and knowing one would eventually come, whether it was some reps or an injury, and he made the most of it. I feel mm-hmm. like Nice like setting me up to be snarky. Well, hold snarky. on. Before, before we talk about the QB competition, Brendan, you had an insider injury report just a couple moments ago on Knowles 24-7 about James Blackman. So before we discuss you know, who deserves what reps – James Blackman, what is the injury, and do we expect him to miss any time? It 
So it sounds like it's an MCL sprain in his knee uh, and a, and a bone bruise. So certainly explains why he was in pain. Uh, and I, terms of how long he's going to be out for, that's not clear yet. Uh, he's still, my understanding is as of Sunday morning while we record this podcast, limping around pretty good. So, you know, unless there's a pretty miraculous uh, recovery this week, um, I feel like he'll be somewhat physically limited. Uh, I don't expect him to be full go for at least a day or two. I, I could be wrong, but but uh, most, usually those those MCL springs probably take a couple of weeks. So uh, with you with what you saw with Hornybrook, uh, combined with there being a bye week coming up right after the NC State game, my intuition, and this is just more me assuming based on the, the knowledge that we do have of what the injury is and where he's at right now, I assume that they probably don't rush him back and and see what they have with Hornybrook while also letting James kind of recover from, from the knee injury instead of trying to push mm-hmm. it, given that the bye week is coming up. Hmm. Well, that's going to make things interesting. So it sounds like we don't see, I mean, to me, it sounds like we're not going to see James Blackman this week. I mean, uh, an injury of that sort, you probably miss a little bit of time. Um, NC State hasn't looked very good. Chris, do you think if Florida State goes out beats NC State at home as they should. Um, who's who's at quarterback for Clemson if both guys are are healthy? Are you asking me who I think they'll play at quarterback or who I would play at quarterback? I want to know who, who you would play at quarterback. I'm of the opinion you ride the hot hand, and not that James had been bad to this point in time in the season, but if Alex goes out and has a similar performance next week to what he did this week, I don't think you go away from that. I think you stick with it. I don't think there's a vast difference between the ceiling of this foot, the, this football team with either quarterback playing. That's my personal opinion. I agree. I agree. Brendan, to you, um, what do you think will will? How do you think this thing will play out? Just speaking are, up to the Clemson game. Are you asking short-term. me what I think I would do or what I think happens? Who do you think the Florida State fans <laughs> will see under center to open up at Clemson? At Clemson. All right. So we have the NC State game. We have a mm-hmm. bye week. I mean, you know, if, if the MCL sprain is as significant as MCL sprains can be, I think Alex Hornibrook makes – I think that just – I don't know if James is going to be ready for that – for to play by then. And do you throw him into the Wolves you know, against Clemson at, at that role, at that rate? I, I don't know. I don't think you put him in to be the starter if he's not 100% on his knee. He has to be able to move around. Clemson's going to be able to apply pressure. FSU's offensive line while improves, still struggling. So, yeah, I think Alex Hornibrook uh, probably has the the chance to go against Clemson. Uh, I think that that's more likely right now. Yeah, and one, one other thing I'd add to the, this discussion is James is such – his greatest strength is he has a cannon. He has a big old arm. But you got to have your feet under you to make those throws. You know yeah. he has so much talent in the arm. Mechanically, if you don't make a good throw with your legs, you're going to mess it up to some degree, and a slight variance creates turnovers. So if he's on a bad wheel, he, he can't do it. It takes away from his greatest strength. It's not like either of them are great scramblers. Alex showed the ability to run RPO system, the ability to tuck and go when he needed to, the ability to make quick decisions and work forward and be athletic enough to gain a yard or two here and there. Blackman's not bringing a big difference as a rusher. So for me, if, if JB can't do the best thing he can do because uh, the leg isn't under him, then it, it would be kind of asinine to play him. You're setting him up for failure, basically. Makes sense. There you have it, folks. Florida State has a full-blown QB controversy <laughs> battle, whatever you want to call it. You heard Wait, it here first. Um, can, I, can I add one thing to that, Josh? Um, sure. With, with, Go ahead. I, I big big shock. I'm going to be nuanced here. Like I feel 
like a lot of people see this as, as black and white and aren't looking at the shades of gray, like all Hornibrook right now, right? Like people were blaming, a lot of people were blaming James for the reason for FSU's one and two start. Um, and I thought he was getting a disproportionate amount of blame, but that's life as a quarterback, right? You get, uh, what's the cliche? You get you get too much credit when things go well and, and too much blame when things go poorly. And, uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, the, the laundry list of issues that FSU had with its one and two start, I thought James is pretty low on the list. I know he he missed some big throws against Virginia. I know he wasn't running the Kendall Browse offense as efficiently as as the coaching staff probably would have liked. I understand all those things, but but James also brings a lot of special things to the table. Uh, like Chris mentioned, the arm strength, the ability to push the ball down the field. I thought two of his best throws uh, that we've seen him make in, in a while came on Saturday. One resulted in a pass interference. Another one was was a dime to Keyshawn Helton. That, that Helton was able to bring in it was it was really good defense but it was an absolute dime that James dropped and, and that forces a defense to to respect the, the deep ball when, when you see a guy who can do that so uh, their strengths and weaknesses more or less kind of complement each other like if you combine the their, the two of them Alex and and James I think you'd have one hell of a quarterback if you took their their strengths and, and combine them uh, so I guess what I'm trying to say here yeah what are is, you trying to say here I think FSU is going to need both quarterbacks. You're like basically arguing and going back and forth with yourself. I'm having a, I'm having a conversation with I myself. think Chris, said it, internal Chris dialogue. said it. Chris said it prior to. We're talking about two quarterbacks that are are pretty much equal in um, upside or or ceiling, and one of them happens to maybe come in and, and light a spark under the offense while the other one goes down. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. I was I was joking about the QB controversy. I don't think there's a controversy right now. Um, I think everything's moving in the right direction. Speaking of moving in the right direction, I think we see Chris, both quarterbacks a lot play the rest of the season. There, there, that's it. Both of them. That's Chris it. Cam Akers yes. carried the ball 29 times for 112 yards. He had three touchdowns. Is it just me, or does it seem like Cam Akers is getting better every single week? Cam Akers has been the most reliable player on FSU's offense this year. Him and Marvin Wilson have been who they're supposed to be in the sense of carrying this team, carrying the workload, bringing an A-plus performance week in and week out. Cam had a couple drops in the passing game yesterday. Otherwise, he would have graded out perfectly, and neither of those passes were particularly sharp. Um, I believe one was quite low towards his ankles, and he had to deal with that. But Cam's playing great ball. He's finishing runs. He's aggressive. He's being smart when he cuts, when he pops things outside, when he just goes ahead and takes what's there working to the inside. He's shown patience and waiting for the big one. He never really got the big one against uh, Louisville yesterday, but he certainly set himself up to to have the opportunity, and he just kept on grinding. I thought he was very good. Louisville's run defense is very solid. They gave FSU's offensive line fits. I don't. I actually haven't looked at the grades. Brendan may have. I presume FSU's offensive line against the run probably graded out the worst they have this year yesterday. I think that's more about the opponent and their capability of stopping the run than FSU performing any worse than they have in the other three games and trying to run the ball. Uh, I don't have the offensive line grades right in front of me, Chris, from Pro Football Focus, but I do recall I think Ryan Roberts was the highest graded one, and he was somewhere in the low 60s, which is uh, – about below average, average to below average. And he's probably the reason for James Blackman on the sidelines with an injury, right? <laughs> I, I mean, the side? there were, there were a couple of missed blocks that James ended up getting like split in half, essentially, um, at least emotionally. <laughs> there was two guys, uh, but, but no, Roberts graded out probably the best of that group. And, uh, 
I think Babyon Johnson and, and Mike Arnold were were in the low 40s, which is well below average. Uh, so yeah, the offensive line did not have a great game. I think FSU does a good job continuing to hide them, and and given that Cam didn't have a ton of run, room to run, I, I thought he. I'm with Chris. I thought he ran really really hard again. I'm with you, Josh. Like we just keep seeing elements of his game get better and better each week. This week it was the jump cut and, and his patience mm-hmm. to set up some blocks. I thought it was like NFL caliber stuff that we were if, we were if seeing. He would have had one big hit, forty plus yards or more. It really would have reminded me of a Dalvin Cook type game. You know, it's funny. I was talking uh, to to Wayne McGahey on the phone this morning. He likes to call and, and talk about the game uh, with me and. Uh, <laughs> Could record those. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we could. Uh, uh, Patreon for those, right? Uh, mm-hmm. the, probably one of us gets fired. Uh, we need some side money. Um, the one thing I wish that that Cam had, if he had like even a little bit of of Dalvin's like oomph, that burst, uh, he would be, you know, a, a surefire first round pick. Like sometimes I yeah. wish Cam hit the but hole that's a the pad harder. That yeah, is right. the difference. That's yeah, talking about a, a generational type of talent versus a really good one. Yeah, but but what I wanted to say with Cam that I do think is noteworthy looking at some of the PFF stats, uh, you, you, to your point, Josh, like he is showing us more and more dimensions each week. Uh, but at the same time, you look at the amount of carries he's getting, and I worry about some of the fatigue that, that he's going to gather. His yard per carry per game has gone down from the first game to 7.9 to 5.4 to 4.3 to 3.9 yards per carry. His yards per contact – wait, what's his – basically how many yards he gets per carry after contact. Uh, 6.73 the first game, which is awesome. 3.28 the second, 4.0 the third, and then 2.79 this past one. And part of it is he just didn't break one. If he does, that, that changes the numbers. But you can see somewhat of a downward uh, slope there with, with each game. And, and to me, I guess I wonder if we do need to see a little bit more Kalen LeBorn throughout the course of a game just to keep Cam a tad fresher. You know, we're, we're four games into the season here. There's still eight more remaining in the regular season. If FSU has a chance to get to the bowl game, obviously more than that. Um, I, I, just, I, guess, I guess I get worried about Cam kind of wearing down a little bit right now with the amount of volume he's getting. Yeah, he played 71 snaps yesterday, which was a season high for him. And I believe LeBorn only played six, if I recall correctly. And, Le, hey, and, Le, and LeBorn hey, actually... You only, looked, you only have... Uh, he had some juice. Cam, you got Cam Akers for how many more games? Uh, you know, but I'm more saying just for him to be productive. I understand like this is the end of Cam, Cam Akers isn't around after the season in all likelihood. I get that. Uh, but but you also need him to be efficient for you too to win games. And if he's you know losing a little bit of some of his explosiveness, uh, you know, it's something to to at least be mindful of, I guess. One more thing I want to talk about on offense before we get to the defensive side of the ball. Um, the wide receiver rotation, Chris, to you, um, Keith Gavin was listed out there on the depth chart. Again, a lot of fans were upset, but we see why Keith Gavin has a role on this team still, despite the fact that he doesn't catch a lot of balls. He, he certainly blocks his ass off and created some, some big plays for Florida state in that aspect. Um, outside of him though, it, does it look like we're settling into a regular rotation? Uh, we see a little bit more Trayshawn Harrison, DJ came back um, a little bit less Ontario Wilson, but what do you, what do you make of uh, the, the wide receiver rotation right now for Florida state? I mean, I, I don't think they're like tightening the grip on the rotation where they're limiting reps for other guys. I think it's more they're trying to figure out who they can rely on the most. I think Trayshawn's the guy that they've consistently gone to and consistently found success with a guy like Keith. He's going to play because he blocks, you know, Tamori and Terry can produce great stats, but a week ago they were unhappy with his blocking 
Keith Gavin obviously not producing the stats one would like to see from a receiver, but he's, he can block. And when you're running a lot mm-hmm. of receiver screens, a lot with running back, you got to have that. You got to have a tone setter. Some people say, well, you move him to linebacker. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, to tight end, but you lose what he blocks on the edge on those outside screens they're trying to run. And when they have success with those, they work really, really well. And when they don't, they look really bad. For example, late in the game, they throw one to the Louisville side. Cam McDonald whips on a block. It's a four or five yard loss on the play. But if that's blocked up, it's an easy five to 10 yard gain most times. That's that's the key to this offense is execution is what matters. And for it to execute what they're trying to call, especially behind the line of scrimmage plays, there has to be perimeter blocking. Now, back to the question of rotation with the receivers. Now, I wouldn't say they're limiting it. I think they're figuring out who they can rely on and who works in certain roles the best. There's things that Trayshawn Harrison does really well that you probably wouldn't use Warren Thompson for and vice versa. I think you see a lot of that, but at the end of the day, it's always going to be DJ as long as he doesn't do anything dumb off the field that causes him not to be on the field. Keyshawn Hilton because he's Mr. Reliable. Tamorian Terry because he's Mr. Big Play. Trey McKitty because he converts for first downs when you use him as a tight end in the middle of the field. That's kind of your beginning group, and then you just mix in the other guys as you need to throw a certain kind of punch here and there. If you were to call Josh and I Mr. Somethings, what would it be? Oh, man, God. I would call Josh Mr. Needs to Get a Haircut. And I would probably call you Mr. Long-Winded and Fighting With Yourself. I'm long-winded. Did you? How long did you just go about wider? Whatever. Mr. Hedge Your Bets is what I would call <laughs> Brendan. Okay. Um, all right. So let's uh, yeah, let's let's switch it over to defense. Uh, Brendan, we saw an improvement. What improved exactly? Was it scheme or was it these personnel changes that we saw? I did really like the personnel changes. I think that helped. Uh, Jaden Lars would be before the injury. I thought was playing his best game of the season. Shocking, he did better in space. Uh, and and Leonard Warner, I wasn't sure if I loved the move for him inside, although him playing outside wasn't great. But uh. But he looked much better in there. So that was big. Uh, playing Amari Gaynor a little bit more, I thought, was was sensible. So I like some of the personnel changes that I made. I, I do think that helped out, Josh. I, I think they've simplified the scheme a little bit the last couple of weeks. That's been helpful. The run fits are easier for the linebackers. Uh, it seems like this defense is finding somewhat of identity. Uh, they're, they're much smarter in how they're using the rotations than they were in the first game of the year. I think that's been helpful. So, so I think it's just the defensive staff has done a better job. And I don't know whether this is all on Jim Levitt or just uh, adjusting for, for Harlan and the rest of the staff, but uh, they do seem to have a better idea of what their strengths and weaknesses are. And they're playing to them at a higher rate. I thought this game plan was really good. Uh, forcing Malik Cunningham to try to beat you deep. He did secondary has to be better, but uh, overall the defense is playing with more intensity, playing with more confidence. And I think that comes from the scheme being a little more simplified and players being in better places where, where they're more comfortable personnel wise. So yeah, to answer your question, like both scheme and personnel helped out this week. This is start, the where would you start, rank? Hold on. Where would you rank Louisville's offense compared to the comparatively others? to FSU's opponents coming up and on the schedule or uh, against what they've played so far? Where would you put Louisville? I mean, I don't think it's better than Boise's. I don't think it's better than uh, Virginia's. I, you know, neither Perkins nor Cunningham are very good passers, but I think Perkins is a more grizzled veteran who understands how to run an offense at a higher clip. Cunningham's an inefficient passer. I mean, if you think about yesterday, his two biggest passing plays, one's a tip ball that Asante Samuel is on and somehow Dez comes up with for the 74-yard touchdown. The other one's a broken 
passing play wheel route where Hampson Nazarene runs into his fellow defender, A.J. Litton, and it's an easy layup deep ball that they throw. He threw a 50-50 ball that Kyle Myers could have picked. Uh, the guy actually reset, the receiver caught it, but Kyle Myers is right there, and that's a play where, you know, you do that 10 times in a game, it's going to get picked several times. Um, I was unimpressed with Cunningham as a passer. His stats were inflated by two huge plays. The rest of it was a lot of dink and dunk, which it's clear this defense is willing to allow and sometimes allows too much. But, I mean, Louisville Louisville can run the damn ball, and FSU did a really good job of stopping them from running the ball. Part of that was great tackling. It really started up front, though. Marvin Wilson played like a grown man. Janaris Romson, as Sinone pointed out earlier today on Twitter, probably played the best game of his career at FSU. Mm-hmm. He's not quite there with making big plays, but he's having far more of an impact. And I thought, in general, the second level did a very good job of being efficient at making plays. The best run for Louisville on the day probably was the run by Malik Cunningham when he makes like four or five people miss. It's a hell of a run. FSU's tackling could have been better, but it's just a guy making a play more than FSU's defense faltering. Yeah, and and for for what it's worth, Louisville has – sorry, Louisville has rushed for more than 200 yards in all three of its previous games. That includes against Notre Dame. Uh, FSU kept them to well below 200 yards, so even with the sacks in there. And FSU had what, Chris, six sacks, I think. Um, yeah, the run defense was still good. Per carry was the average, which... and, and it would have been 3.8, I think, or 3.7, somewhere in that range, without the sacks in there. So, really, really good job for Florida State's defense to. It's something that they struggled with against Boise, right? Uh, to take away, uh, to take away a strength. They had 11 tackles for loss. That's something they hadn't done very well. So. Like I, I don't want to minimize. Like Louisville isn't a great offense, but FSU hasn't played great offenses this, this season, and and has looked far worse on defense. So like I, I think it's fair to say like this group has shown some some improvement. I thought Louisville was hesitant early to take shots, um, and a lot of that I think was Cunningham was hesitant to take the shots, and I think that kind of hindered their offense and is why they in general didn't have a very efficient first half from an offensive standpoint, in addition to FSU playing some pretty good defense. But if I'm, if I'm a team like Louisville in the run game, which is your bread and butter is not effective, then against FSU, I I take those shots. I don't get hesitant. I'm going to dink and dunk to move the chains a little, but also when there's opportunities for one-on-one or you see something you can scheme up, you take a shot vertically. And they did that a bit more in the second half. And I think that's why the offense to a degree came alive in part because of two huge passing plays that they were able to find one because of a, you know, ball that gets tipped in the other one because of a blown coverage. But I, I felt like Louisville kind of hurt themselves in addition to FSU doing a good job suppressing them in the first half. I, I love that game plan for Florida state forcing that by the way, like forcing Louisville to do that. Like they, they took away what, what Louisville was good at. So anyways, I'll, I'll stop. Uh, on yeah, defense scheme stuff, but it was smart. The the key now for FSU's defense to build on this and elevate is for the secondary, which is a very talented group, very deep group, to kind of live up to their billing. They need to play better ball than they've played really at any point in the last year and a half. They they need to be a more efficient group that makes more big plays down the field. Cyrus Fagan's pick is a positive play. They need more of those sorts. And the broken plays with a guy like Hampson getting caught up on Linton, it just can't have you can't have that. That that's what plagued this defense so horribly last year. And you just, you can't have that come back. They had, they had done a good job through three games prior to Louisville kind of avoiding those big bang plays. And yesterday they allowed two, one is kind of, you know, 50, 50, but the other one is a mistake completely allowing a big play. That's your name, Chris, Mr. Big bang. Sorry. Sorry, Josh, go on. In Sticking with the personnel changes and I'm going to act like I didn't hear you say that about Chris. Um, 
as we see guys like Jaden Woodby go down with injury, we're going to see the bottom half of this roster kind of rise to the top. We're going to see some of these guys playing. Which of these guys, because I know we saw Josh Brown in the game. I know we saw Jaleel McCray in the game a little bit more. Um, who from the bottom half of the roster made some plays or opened your eyes a little bit in this game? And you, maybe somebody you think we're going to see more of. Chris, and would either you like of to you go? can answer these. Go, go ahead, I mean, Christopher. I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I mean, Gaynor is a guy who I feel like performs at a higher level when he gets more reps, but I wouldn't describe him as a bottom half of the roster type. Uh, you know, Brendan Gant's a newcomer who is a guy that he tends to do well when he's out there. He certainly knows how to tackle. He certainly knows how to make plays like that. Dennis Briggs is another guy who's not often relied upon, but when he gets opportunities, I feel like he performs at a high level. And Akeem Denton, a young guy who I think we see kind of stepping up. I think the thing FSU did yesterday that was effective was they kind of hid some of those weaknesses. DeKalen Brooks played a lot less reps. You know, they kind of picked their punches with a guy like Josh Brown, put him in situations. And a guy like Jaleel McCray, who we've all pumped up a lot, didn't have a particularly good day, and they kind of went away from him. They didn't force the issue with him. Boy, I saw him get ripped on the sideline at one point. Yeah, he he ended up only – He played with a lot of energy, I thought. Uh, yeah. and, and, and you can see his athleticism and that helped impact plays, but he missed three tackles. Yeah. Uh, but with those misses, I think also helped corral guys too. So like he's in the right spot. He's hustling. Uh, that's when we've talked about before with the youth movement, like, would you rather Dontavis Jackson be the one ma- making, you know, missing those plays or would you rather the true freshman when they're grading out about, you know, comparably same, negative, yeah, learning yeah. on the job. Yeah. So I, mean, I was, I was the, fine with that. The concern with this team defensively going forward in that sense, in that regard, is a guy like J-Rob playing 64 snaps in a game and giving you max effort as much as possible. It just becomes more and more difficult as the games pile up. And as he plays top-tier offensive linemen and gets beat up in the trenches, that's just going to be tough to ask of a guy late. There's very few guys who can live that life for 12 games in a season at a high level and play. Marvin Wilson, he is one of those guys. He has proven that. You know, Corey Durden's never been asked to be that guy. J-Rob's never been asked to be that guy. And currently, FSU doesn't have a whole lot of great second option to alleviate the pressure on those guys. You know, I think Dennis Briggs is the guy who they, they're probably going to have to turn to a bit more going forward. But they're going to have to find some of those in real time. They don't have a whole lot of time to test things out. The bye week's going to come at a good time, mm-hmm. allowing some of that work to be done. But that, that's going to be a concern for FSU going forward. There's just not enough talented depth for them to rely upon when some guys start running on E to kind of lift. Yeah. Yep. All right. I want to talk about, I wanted to get Chris's opinion on Levitt dancing in the locker room. That was kind of fun. Hey, if grandpa wants to dance like that, grandpa can dance like that. I got no bones with it. Who am I to tell another man not to dance? Uh, Levitt dancing in the locker room. It seems like he's, uh, I'm going to ask Brendan this, but it seems like he's, um, weaved his way into the fabric of this team rather quickly, and it looks pretty natural. I mean, those guys, they had a couple coaches, a couple players. Everybody seemed to be enjoying themselves. I didn't see Harlan Barnett, but I assume he maybe was holding the camera, filming Levitt. <laughs> he he was levitating. That's what we're calling the dance moves. There you go. Um, oh, God. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, you know, what I'm interested in with, with Jim Levitt, I guess, is – how much of a hand does he have in in the game planning and and clearly guys like him so he's getting to interact with with players and and they're warming up to him quickly my understanding is is that he 
he is catching on quickly and, and talking with a lot of guys and very involved. And, and I, I probably don't want to say a whole lot more than that, but like he's, he's involved and clearly guys are, are gravitating or would you say levitating towards him? Levitating towards him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. All right. We're going to so get funny. you guys out of here. It's been a great podcast up until this <laughs> point. So Chris, let's shift the focus back to you. You're going to save us here. We're going to talk about your column that you wrote this morning. And I think it's a good one. Um, it's titled from here we go again to a potential stepping stone. So which yeah. one, in your opinion, was this? Was it, oh, crap, here we go again, or was this a step in the direction that we want to be? Well, I, I think you look at it in the scope of over a multi-week period. FSU has taken some positive steps each week, even though they lost in Virginia, and even though they've had fourth-quarter ills in both games, and they did conquer them in this game to come out with a win. It, it's baby steps. Now, the key is they got NC State, who's yet again an mediocre ACC opponent, but capable enough to beat FSU. But FSU is also talented enough to beat NC State. I think for FSU to kind of build on this and prove it's a stepping stone is kind of to make a solid four-quarter statement. Don't allow that fourth-quarter comeback if you do build the early lead. Don't don't have the, you know, whatever the case is. They've had the turnovers that doomed them in the second half. They've had big plays allowed that doomed them in the second half. It's been kind of different things. It's not been the consistent same thing that's caused the four-quarter comebacks. Whatever it is, don't allow it to permeate next week. Don't allow it to show up. Play a four-quarter game. Kind of step on your opponent's neck. When you have the opportunity to do that and put the game away and do it early. And, you know, that way you can get some of these starters out of the game and get some reps for younger guys down the stretch. You know, have whole series where guys play together who don't usually play a whole lot. That That's an important next step for FSU. I think that's a key. Both of those quotes in the title come from uh, Corey Durden. Corey Durden is a guy who definitely gets kind of the dynamic of where this football team is and where they need to go to. I think you're starting to hear that a bit more from a lot of guys, especially veterans who are the bought-in type of veterans, which this team has some has some who are not bought-in veterans. But the guys who are bought-in are starting to lead a bit with that, and I think it's important for that to permeate more down to the guys who matter for the long-term success of this program going forward. So I think that's where we're going to see the transition point. You know, I, some guys have been forced to accept that. Levante Taylor, I think his benching kind of humbled him to a degree and forced him to buy in on some of those ideals. But there's other guys who just simply bought in because I think they should. I think the important part is that we continue to see buy-in for this team while the performance also improves. So I, I do think it's a stepping stone, but just as quickly they can go out there and lay an egg next week and we're kind of back at you know where we were 15, 16 games ago with some signs of slight improvement, but not enough to really write home and be positive about. Yeah, Brendan, we're going to make our picks and all that later in the week on the next pod, but just real quick, do you, do you feel like we're trending in the right direction after four games? After four games? Um, I think we're trending in the right direction based on the last two games. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think right now the whole body of work this season is still extremely underwhelming. Two and two isn't acceptable at Florida state, although that's been kind of the standard the last few years, but uh, Hey, it's, it's, it's improvement. The last two weeks, this team is still playing really hard for Willie Taggart. I think that's important. This team's emotionally invested still. That's important. And some of the mistakes that we saw against Virginia were cut down. The defensive game plan I thought was better. Uh, the penalties were way down. Uh, so, yeah, I think we're seeing modest strides maybe week over week uh, if you look at it that way. Levitate. Thank you for that. Well, 
fellas, enjoy your Sundays. Enjoy this win. And we'll be back on the bench later this week. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Bye. See you.